Welcome to Mihinte on Air on 100.5 and 790 News Radio WSGW and online WSGW.com. Now, here is your host, Larry Rodarte. Buenos tardes, mi gente. Thank you. Thank you for being with me here this Sunday evening on Mi Gente On Air. In 2014, President Barack Obama proclaimed March 31st as Cesar Chavez Day, a U.S. federal holiday. It celebrates the birth and legacy of the civil rights and labor movement activists every year. And as the son of a migrant worker myself, and as an American, I take great pride in this holiday. And today we have uh, a very special guest, his son, Paul Chavez. But first, we're going to hear from President Barack Obama. Today, La Paz joins a long line of national monuments, stretching from the Statue of Liberty to the Grand Canyon. Monuments that tell the story of who we are as Americans. It's a story of natural wonders and modern marvels, of fierce battles and quiet progress. But it's also a story of people, of determined, fearless, hopeful people who have always been willing to devote their lives to making this country a little more just and a little more free. And one of those people lies here beneath the rose garden at the foot of a hill he used to climb to watch the sunrise. And so today we celebrate Cesar Chavez. Cesar would be the first to say that this is not a monument to one man. The movement he helped to lead was sustained by a generation of organizers who stood up and spoke out and urged others to do the same, including the great Dolores Huerta, who is here today. It drew strength from Americans of every race and every background who marched and boycotted together on behalf of La Causa. And it was always inspired by the farm workers themselves, some of whom are with us. This place belongs to you, too. But the truth is, we would not be here if it weren't for Caesar. As a middle son of a civil rights and farm labor leader and as president of the Cesar Chavez Foundation, Paul F. Chavez has spearheaded the impressive expansion of the nonprofit his father founded in the 1960s. The foundation has grown and adapted into a successful group of social enterprises that supports hundreds of thousands of Latinos and working families, inspiring and transforming communities from rural to urban areas throughout the Southwest and across generations. One of eight children of Cesar and Helen Chavez, Paul has spent his entire life with the movement. And prior to his work with the Chavez Foundation, Paul Chavez served with the United Farm Workers of America as a union organizer, contract negotiator, political director, lobbyist in Sacramento, and in Washington, D.C., he was also personal assistant to his father, Cesar Chavez. And today, as we are about to celebrate Cesar Chavez Day throughout the nation, every March 31st, we welcome Mr. Paul Chavez to Mi Gente On Air. Welcome, Mr. Chavez. 
Thank you, Larry, and we're we're happy to be here with you today. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure, it's an honor, and I know the work that you do. I'm familiar with it, so I am so excited to have you here today. Thank you. You know, I know I know you must get a lot of requests to speak during this time. You know, every March 31st, and also throughout the year. So thank you for being with us. And um, in today's world with the Biden administration, many people were so happy to see that bust of your father in the Oval Office. I want to open up the show with that because that moment, you know, right after the inauguration and, and we started seeing actually uh, the press as well as the, the news feeds with President Biden in the Oval Office and there behind him was the bust of your father. Can you share with us how that came to be? Well, first of all, I just, you know, again, I just want to thank you for allowing us to spend some time with you and your listeners. You know, uh, Michigan has always played an important role in the work of my father um, and uh, and his ongoing legacy. And so we just, uh, you know, we're just ex- uh, extremely happy to be with you here tonight. Thank you. Uh, you know, the, the bust uh, actually came about pretty quickly. You know, there had been some uh, discussions, uh, informal discussions about... Uh, having the bust uh, uh, loaned to the White House. We have it here at the National Cesar Chavez National Monument. The piece you heard earlier where President Obama was speaking was at the dedication of the National Monument. Yes. And so uh, there were some informal discussions, but it, it wasn't until uh, Monday morning, uh, the, the Monday before the inauguration, that we had a call, uh, or Tuesday morning, I should say, before the, the day before the inauguration, that we had a call with folks from the White House Office of Protocol, I believe, and people from the transition team where they formally requested it. And so, you know, of course we said yes, that we'd be happy to, to, to have the uh, bust in the office, in the Oval Office. And so, you know, it was a pretty hurried thing. We had to go out and build a crate and had to get it shipped out. But um, <laughs> but lo and behold, uh, you know, on the morning of the inauguration around 1030, we got word from the White House that they had received it. And so we were excited uh, that that it was there, but you know we had no idea about the location of the bust until um, we, you know, we were watching TV like millions of Americans, and we were uh, anxious to see the president, uh, you know, step into the Oval Office and, and assume the the duties of the presidency. And lo and behold, right behind his desk, uh, right behind the president, was the bust of my dad. And so you know we were surprised, uh, but we were also pretty excited about about the prominence of the bust and what it had to say. And so, you know, uh, with that, th- there began a flurry of calls and congratulations and press inquiries. But uh, <laughs> but it happened pretty quickly. But again, we didn't know exactly where it was going to be located until we saw it on the news with uh, a million other folks on, uh, on yeah. national TV. Yeah, you know, it to me was uh, such a pivotal moment in the history of our nation because we had gone through a crazy time with the election and then for Biden to come into prominence and become our president and for him to have that bus there, it meant so much to probably Latinos throughout the nation. I know I was so excited. It like, um, it just felt like uh, almost like a vindication of all the work that we were doing in terms of getting president Biden into the the white house, but I was just so thrilled. So I I know how, I mean, I can't even imagine how it would have been for your family (laughs) to see that at that time. Well, you know, for us, uh, when we saw it, um, it really did represent the dawn of a, of a new day. 
You know, the past four years had been a terrible time where we've seen the increase of intolerance and, and uh, you know, and just kind of scapegoating uh, immigrants for, for a lot of the ills that this nation has. And and to see the, the, the bus there uh, to us signified that, that it was a, it was a new day, it was a new administration. And, and, um, and so, you know, we were, we were excited, but you know, the other thing too, though, Larry, that I saw, uh, and as I spoke to people, I think with that, with that, um, what the placement of that bus did was that it validated, uh, yes. for generations of Latinos. Yes. I'm talking about recent immigrants and people that have been here five and six and seven generations or longer. It validated the worth and the contributions of Latinos uh, throughout this country. And so we were very excited uh, to see that. And, you know, and we're even more excited to see the ongoing work that the president has done. So we're, uh, we're very happy with, uh, with the placement of the bus, but even more happy with the introduction of new legislation that will help dreamers and farm workers uh, become uh, legalized. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Chavez, I, I wanted to ask you about your upbringing uh, with your father. Of course, everybody must ask you that, but the lessons he taught you, um, because I know that you've talked about that on some of the videos I've seen with the foundation and all, uh, but I want my listeners to understand, um, uh, you know, what, what someone, when someone asks you, what stands out when you think of your dad in, in those lessons he taught you? Well, you know, there was many lessons, right? And and you know, as I think about it, you know, like many, uh, like many young people, right? We a lot of times we don't listen to the wisdom of our parents. <laughs> right. And right. in retrospect, I wish I would have had a note and a pad, and I would have taken notes. But, but you know, invariably the lessons learned uh, come to mind during the difficult times. But you know, a couple of lessons that stand out uh, that, that I'd like to share today are uh, first, this whole idea about uh, having faith in people. You know, at the heart of my dad's work was was this tremendous faith he had in the ability of ordinary people mm-hmm. to go out and do extraordinary things. Now, what I mean is, you know, in the case with uh, with him, he he um, he got the least educated and the poorest among us farm workers to take on one of the biggest and most powerful industries in the country and prevail. And so, you know, uh, and that only happens when you believe in the ability of, uh, of, of, every, of every human being. You know, my dad had this tremendous faith in the ability of people to, to get out and work hard and, 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 and make change. And, and I think it was that example that, uh, that was set in Delano with, the, you know, with farm workers that resonated with people from all walks of life. And so I think the first one is to have faith in people. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one was this idea that, that um, well, it's a question of persistence, and it was really this idea that you only lose when you give up. I remember I was um, at one time in in, uh, in my earlier life I was uh, the political director for the for the union, and we uh, we had an, an important vote coming up at a state uh, hearing uh, with the state senate hearing. We needed uh, 21 votes to get. Uh, to get a, a, a Senate a, a confirmation through. And we knew it was going to be tough. We had a big, long statewide campaign, and the day of the vote came, and, and uh, it was taken, and we came up one vote short. And I was devastated. I thought it was the end of the world. And, and my dad could see that, you know, that I wasn't doing so well. And so, you know, after talking to workers that had joined us and, and um, 
seeing them off and, and just giving them words of encouragement, uh, my dad says, well, why don't we drive home? Now, you know, this is around 10 o'clock at night and home is about five hours away. But I said, sure, I wasn't going to sleep because I was, I was feeling terrible. And I remember we got in the car and we were driving. He didn't say anything for, for about an hour or so. And then he started talking. You know, he said, uh, how do you feel? And I said, you know, Dad, I, I feel like I let you down. I let the workers down. I let the movement down. And then he says, well, did you work as hard as you could work? And I said, you know, Dad, I, I've never worked as hard as I did in my life. Well, did you do everything you could do? And I said, I didn't leave any stones undone. I, I did everything I knew to do. And then he says, and these words seem like he just said it me yesterday. He says, well, just remember me, home, that our work, like Alisa, the fight for justice, it's not a baseball game where after nine innings, whoever has the most runs win and the other loses. And it's not a political campaign where candidates campaign and whoever gets the most votes on election day wins and the other loses. In our work, in the work for justice, you only lose when you give up. And then he says, well, let's go home. Let's get some rest because we have a lot of work to do. And it was amazing because for me, I thought it was the end of the world. And for him, he took it in stride because he understood that, you know, that, that, that while there will be setbacks, and the fact is, is that during his life, you know, during the 31 years that he led the United Farm Workers, he suffered more setbacks than victories. Yes. Yet each time he was knocked down, he'd get up and dust himself off and he'd go back to work. And so the lesson was clear that you only lose, you know, when you uh, when you give up, when you refuse to, to quit the, the, the struggle. And so that's a lesson that I've taken to heart. It's something that sustained me during difficult times. It, 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 uh, it gave me a lot of strength during these past four years when times were pretty tough. But, uh, but it was that lesson of persistence that you never give up, no matter the odds, no matter the circumstances. Uh, and, and, and the other thing is, is that now as, I, as, I, as I've lived it and it's guided me, I can see that the words are pretty liberty, liberating because what it does is it, it puts squarely in front of you that your opposition, the opponents, the people that, that, are, that stand against you can't decide if you win or not. It's really up to us. And the question is, do we have the determination and the persistence to continue? And I think that if there's one thing that Mexicanos and Latinos and, and working people knows, we know how to work, we know how to get through the grind. And so uh, to me, it's a liberating statement because it tells me that, that we do have the authority uh, and we do have the power to get things done. Yes, yes. Nicely said. I want, I want to hear uh, play a clip of your father uh, real quick. And I think that segues into what we're going to talk about, but that was beautiful what you said in the lessons learned with faith and perseverance. I'm not very different from anyone else who has ever tried to accomplish something with his life. My motivation comes from my personal life, from watching what my mother and father went through when I was growing up, that dream, that vision, grew from my own experience with racism, with hope, with a desire to be treated fairly and to see my people treated as human beings and not as chattel. What do you think, Mr. Chavez, when you hear that, your, your, your father's words? Well, you know, it, uh, it really reminds me of... Uh, of the basis for for his work, you know, my dad believed that um, he believed that we all have an inherent God given worth, 
and that um, and that because of, of of racism and poverty, sometimes it gets in the way of the opportunities that we have or the opportunities for our children. And so while he went out and organized farm workers, you know, to increase their wages and benefits, it was really a fight about giving opportunities to future generations of people. My dad talked, uh, I remember talking to him and him telling me about um, about growing up. You know, he was born in the United States. He served in the in the Navy and, and he ended up in the fields because he had no other opportunities. And he talked to me about about a life where you didn't have much opportunities and you had many dreams. And he talked about how, you know, his hope was that he could give people opportunities that that he never had. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that he did mention um, on different times, you know, uh, uh, people would ask him, you know, Mr. Chavez, what is your what's your political ideology that that keeps you motivated? You know, what is it? What is that political thought? And he would look at them and he would say, you know, it's nothing fancy like that. He goes, I remember the the look on my mother's face when she told me, mijo, you can't go to school anymore. You need to drop out and help me and your father provide for your brothers and sisters. He says, I never want another mother to have that conversation with a son or daughter. And so it was it was that life experience mm-hmm. that, 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 that propelled him and motivated him. You know, he was... Um, he was a uh, he was a young man. He joined the navy, you know, because Latinos are patriotic, and he did his part, even though he had every reason in the world not to be patriotic. He was a patriot, and he went and he served. Well, while on leave with uh, from the navy, he took my mother, who they were dating at the time, to the theater in Delano, California, in the Central Valley of California, and he was arrested because uh, they were arrested because they had the uh, audacity to sit in the center section of the of the theater wow. even though he was a, a, a serviceman serving his country and so it was these kind of life lessons that really uh impel it it, it, it propelled them and it sustained them and it helped him understand uh that 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 the stakes were high and that uh and that uh, and that we needed to commit ourselves to uh to uh to the work in front of us and and again while he fought for better wages and conditions, it was really a fight to give opportunities uh, to folks that have never had them. Wow! Yeah, that it's just amazing to me when I when I hear your words and hear about those experiences. I relate very well because I know my father, who mm-hmm. who passed away last September, he also had those same experiences, and it's just amazing the work that your father did that. Uh, resonated all the way into the Midwest, and when mm. the the great boycott was happening, even all the way in Saginaw, Michigan, Latinos yep. over here were were oh yeah we're doing it as well because we believed in the work of Cesar Chavez. So that uh, man, yeah. well, you you know, Larry, it's it's uh, if I can jump in uh, for a second, you know, um, people have uh, have told me and I've heard from many folks that when they met my dad for the first time they they were a little bit surprised you know they 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 would expected a, a big man 6 foot 2 with a big <laughs> booming voice right uh and what they found was a small dark man right that uh, was pretty uh that was pretty shy but uh when he began to talk he spoke about those uh about those experiences that we all faced. He spoke about the hope for a brighter future for our families that we all shared. And as he spoke, 
people saw in my dad, their own dads, yes. and their grandfathers, and their uncles, and their tios, and next-door neighbors. And then this interesting thing happened. They looked at him, and they said, if somebody like Cesar Chavez, who isn't so much different than me, can, uh, can get out there and do these things, then, uh, then maybe we can do our part. And I think what it was is it was part of that. It was part of, of who he was that inspired people to believe that, that, yeah, we all have it within us to go out and, and make a difference. And, and whether we be supporting farm workers on, on boycott lines in Saginaw or running for school boards or getting involved in the social and political affairs of our communities, he really inspired people to do that. And, and that's, that's one thing that I've seen more and more as, as time goes on is that how his example inspired generations of people to civic and, uh, and political service. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I remember there being footage of him also um, going to Europe. I mean, so mm-hmm. it was even beyond the border, I believe, yeah. this Causa movement. And it, it really speaks volumes to his work and what he actually accomplished in his lifetime. You know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your mother, Helen Chavez. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us uh, about her role uh, well, you know, my mom is one of those unsung heroes in the uh, farm worker movement. Mm-hmm. So le- much like my father, she shared the same background. She was a, she was a daughter of Mexican immigrants. She was born in the Imperial Valley of California, which is down on the uh, on the U.S.-Mexican border, a little town called Brawley. Uh, she ended up in Delano, California, where her and my dad met. But like my father, she dropped out of school to help her mother feed her her brothers and sisters as well. You know, the, the irony is that, you know, you have farm workers who would feed the nation the greatest abundance of food ever produced, yet many times they didn't have enough for their own tables and the kids would have to drop out of school to, to, to help, uh, help their parents. And so like my, uh, like my father, she, um, she dropped out of school and, you know, began working in the fields. Well, her, her and my dad married in, in the late 40s and... And it was during that time that my dad uh, became an organizer for a group called the Community Services Organization. And it was the Community Service Organization uh, during the 40s and 50s was like the most progressive Latino community-based organization on the West Coast. He was involved in voter registration drives in East Los Angeles that that uh, helped elect uh, uh, Ed Roybal to the city council. And he later on went to distinguish himself with a long career in Congress. Uh, but but uh, a lot of people would trace the, 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 uh, the work of the CSO back in those days to, to a lot of the uh, progress that we've seen today. Uh, but So they did that work, and, and he was living a, a pretty good middle-class life. Uh, you know, they didn't have to worry about where the next check was coming from. He had paid vacations. Heck, my dad was even dri- driving a Volvo in 1958. You know, how many Latinos were driving Volvos, right? Yeah. But, uh, but the thing is, is that uh, he, as he drove up and down the state for doing his work with the CSO, he would often come back and say to my mom, you know, I saw people working on the fields in terrible conditions. Somebody should do something. And, and he, he did, did this for a couple of years. Somebody should do something about this. Somebody should do something about this. And I got to the point that my mother, you know, she's a woman of few words, looked him squarely in the eye and said, why don't you do something about it? Wow. Wow. You know what? uh, Paul, we'll be right back. Okay, we got to go to commercial and we'll be right back with Mr. Paul Chavez. 
This is Mihinta On Air on WSGW. You're listening to Mi Gente On Air on WSGW. Welcome back, Mi Gente. Welcome back. Inspiring people to believe in themselves, preparing them, and giving them opportunities was a big part of Cesar Chavez's legacy. And this is what the core of the foundation that you lead, Mr. Paul Chavez. I want to talk about what the foundation represents and what it is doing to help people in your community. My father had this idea that um, that because of the poverty and, and discrimination that our communities face, that uh, it would take more than a union to address those needs. He knew that you needed to have a strong union that could address those workplace issues, uh, but also that when people went home after a long, hard day's work, uh, they came home to a whole different set of social issues, the lack of access to affordable housing, uh, quality educational opportunities for our children, uh, access to to uh, to fair consumer uh, credit, and a whole slew of issues. And so, his idea was to build a movement that could address the needs in the community, in the workplace, and in the community. Mm-hmm. And that's what the the Caesar Chavez Foundation focuses on. We focus on addressing major um, daily needs that people have, and we have four programs. Our first program is an affordable housing program. We have about 5,000 units in four states in the southwest where we provide um, high-quality, amenity-rich affordable housing uh, coupled with community services for seniors and for the children that live in our communities. We have an education program that that works to bridge the uh, equity gap that, that our community faces when it comes to education. Uh, and so we partner with uh, school districts uh, up and down the Central Valley of California uh, to address those uh, those uh, those issues. We provide after-school tutoring. We've run summer schools for school districts. Uh, we provide uh, summer camps to help kids uh, with the whole uh, issue of uh, of uh, education loss during uh, during summer break and and a whole slew of issues. And then we have our communications fund where we actually have uh, a network of uh, of Spanish language radio stations, uh, Radio Campesina, oh, yes. that address the hopes and needs of, of the Latino community, and it's targeted to uh, recent immigrants. Uh, and we play, uh, it's a combination of uh, popular music to get listeners, and then once we have people listening, then we do a lot of, uh, a lot of social programming, address, uh, you know, speaking to those issues that affect us, but more than that, also letting people know what they can do to make a difference. Uh, we recently started a, a, a new network. It's called Forge, and this one's uh, targeted to the sons and daughters of the immigrant. These are kids that you know that that are bilingual, but they don't listen to the music of their parents. And so there's a lot of hip hop and music that I don't understand. But but right. we're doing that work. And again, the idea is to address the needs that they have. And then the fourth program that we have is the um, is the uh, National Chavez Center that works to promote and. Uh, uh, and protect uh, the legacy of Cesar Chavez. And we do that in partnership with the National Park Service. And then we work with different folks across the country who, who, do, who do different commemorations. We support them in any way we can. And we have speakers bureaus and we have days of service programs and a whole slew of uh, activities that, that we uh, use to, uh, 
to ensure that his legacy is uh, is uh, out there in the community. Well, I'm I'm so happy to hear that that the legacy of Cesar Chavez is is so important in our country, especially today. We know this, and and I and I love to hear the stories so many times. Of you never get tired of it. You never hear get tired of hearing of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and what they accomplished in the '60s for our people. You know, as Latinos, we have taken major hits. You know, from the last administration in the last four years, and he, heroes like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta are so important to us. How, Paul Chavez, can we lift up our people today? And who are your heroes? Well, you know, um, I think that it's important to remember that uh, that we all have it within us to go out and make a difference. You know, the, the lesson learned from my father was that, you know, that, that an ordinary person, a person born to immigrant parents who never had more than an eighth grade education, that never made more than $8,000 a year, who never owned a house or had a brand new car, uh, could make a difference. And so the idea is that, is that, uh, is that we should, uh, we should uh, embrace the fact that we all have it within us to go out and improve our communities. Uh, and so that would be the, the first thing. In terms, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of heroes, you know, uh, my my father was my hero. You know, the the interesting thing was that, you know, as a as a boy growing up, he was my father, and he was the one that, if we didn't do the yard work or we didn't do our chores, you know, he would let us know about it. And so he's my father, and I loved him, uh, and I still do. Uh, but as I got older and I began to work with him, uh, I began to see the work that he did, and I saw how he touched people's lives and how people um, responded to his message. And it was an interesting thing that, that at, at, at that point, he became more than just my father. He became my hero. And uh, that's why I've uh, dedicated myself to continuing his work. Well, thank you so much for your work. And, you know, it kind of gives a segue into me asking that question, who are your heroes? One of my heroes locally here in the state of Michigan is Miss Lupe Ramos Montigne, and we have her here on the phone with us, and I want to welcome her to Mi Gente on Air, along with one of her heroes, I'm sure, Mr. Paul Chavez. Lupe. Oh my gosh, this is such a special time, a special moment to be in the same phone call as Paul Chavez. How are Lupe. you, Paul? I'm fine, oh Lupe. Gosh. It's so good to hear your voice, and and we think about you often, and we uh, we have a uh, we have a lot of good memories about the work that you've done throughout the years to uh, not only to to ensure that my father's legacy continues to burn bright there in in Central Michigan, but the work that you've done for the community. So, Lupe, it's a real honor, and oh, I'm really you. happy to be oh, talking to you God. today. Yes, this yes. This is absolutely awesome. And and I, I just want to let my uh, listeners know that uh, Lupe Ramos Montigne has served as the chairperson for 20 years, over 20 years actually, for the Committee to Honor Cesar E. Chavez, which was founded in 2000 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we welcome her openly, and we're so thrilled to have you, Lupe, so you can tell us about the 2021 Virtual Cesar Chavez Community, along with Paul. All right. Oh, I, I love that. I met Paul in San Antonio 
marching with Jaime Martinez. And as we were walking, I say to Paul, how would you like to come to Grand Rapids? And he looked at me, you know, where is Grand Rapids? (laughs) And and he did. And he did come. And and he was our keynote for one of our galas. Uh, It's so great to to hear you, Paul. And, of course, uh, his son, Andres, is one of our sons over here in Grand Rapids because he has been with us many different times. So now the pandemic has brought us to a different way of celebrating the life and legacy of our beloved Cesar Estrada Chavez. And in this birthday, it's going to be different, but with the same message, the same spirit. And so with, you know, the pandemic, uh, we had to cancel. And Paul, you were going to come to our 20th year celebration last year. And we had Mm -hmm. planned for a whole year in that, on that, day, the social justice activities, we have three events in one day. So you can imagine the planning that went through the, the all for a year's worth, and then we had to cancel it. But now with, with Zoom and other mediums of getting the word out, we're going to be able to touch people around the world because we're in, we have everything in place. The only thing that we're working on is getting participants to register to be part of the one-hour celebration. And so, and, and another thing that's so wonderful about about the life and legacy of Cesar is that more people want to know more. Why did he do this? Why do you celebrate? Why? 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 And so with the work that we do in Grand Rapids, and this work is done in many different places throughout the state, and so we have many groups that celebrate the life and legacy, uh, but this year we're taking it worldwide. Mm-hmm. And, and so with, with Zoom, we're able to do that. So we, the, the newest partner uh, is Wood TV 8, here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is the, one of the major TV stations. And they, dis, they hired an Hispano, uh, Ruben, to be one of the reporters. A, and he, he, uh, he introduces the news in Spanish. So we were, what? You know, because that's the first station of that magnitude that is speaking or reporting in Spanish. Wow. And so we are. I invited him to participate as soon as we had something, and then this opened up, and I asked him to be the host. And then the station said, we want to be your partners, too. And you wait till you see what they have put together for us. You're going to be blown away. Well, I, uh, you so, know, Lupe, I know that if you're behind this, I know magic is going to happen, and I am so <laughs> oh, happy. And, Larry. And, and, and Paul, I, I think you would agree with that statement yes, that I just I, made. She yes. is she's such a go getter and all. And you know, I want to mention um, that in Lansing they have big Cesar Chavez uh, celebrations. In Saginaw, the American GI Forum always puts on a luncheon every year to honor Cesar E. Chavez. And I think in other uh, Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. other communities. 
the, you know, even in Detroit, I mean, how do you feel, uh, Paul, in regard to here in the Midwest, seeing that your father is honored in these communities in the Midwest in Michigan? Well, you know, we're we're honored, and, and you know, it, it, it doesn't happen just by itself. It happens because of the hard work of people like Lupe and others, friends that we've had there in uh, in Michigan for so many years. You know, when my dad and 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 farm workers went to uh, to Michigan uh, to uh, for the different boycotts for the grapes and the lettuce, uh, you know, one of the first communities we turned to were our brothers and sisters who had worked in the fields and had settled there, and we were always received with open arms. And so, you know, the uh, the, the 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 relationship of of the Latino community in Michigan and the farmer movement is very strong. Uh, a number of our leaders came out of uh, out of uh, Michigan uh, universities. Uh, they, they were going to school there, and they were active in the community, and they ended up working yeah. full time. Arturo mm-hmm. Rodriguez, who just uh, who just retired as president of the United Farm Workers, had a long, long uh, history there in uh, in Michigan. And so, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's we've been received with open arms. Uh, since my father was around, and we continue to be received with open arms. But again, uh, it's it's really a, a tribute to the good work of Lupe and people like her that continue to to support us uh, as yes. we continue our work. Yes, and you know, I want to I want to mention uh, Daniel Sosa, who was uh, a councilman here in Saginaw. But before that, he was very uh, active and involved with the community, and in, had invited your father to the Union Civica Mexicana in Saginaw. Mm-hmm. And I have pictures of him and your father from, it must be like oh, the wow. 80s. Uh, and so, and I know uh, wow. Mayor Benavides, uh, Tony Medavides in Lansing has beautiful pictures of him and his wife with Cesar Chavez. So there's a long history of appearances of, of your father in the state of Michigan mm-hmm. and that tie of the many migrant workers that worked in Michigan and came to the north because of the, the work in the field. So it's, it's just it's so beautiful to see it all come together. And with Lupe, uh, her virtual Cesar Chavez community gathering, which is going to be happening March 31st, right, Lupe? Can you give us the specifics and the times of that event? Absolutely. Yes, I would. Uh, so the event, it's an event for me. It's an event. Uh, the event will happen on March 31st, which is Cesar's birthday. And if you recall, Paul, the governor, Governor Granholm, which is, who is now a secretary for President Biden, uh, mm-hmm. She signed legislation on September the 3rd, 2003, to, uh, declaring that March the 31st was a day dedicated to the life and legacy of Cesar Estrada Chavez in the state of Michigan. And so we have to take that lead. And, and I... I did something within on the State Board of Education to encourage more school districts to implement the life and legacy in the social study standards. And I have a plan because it's not enough. All children of our state have to know who Cesar Chavez was. And I am at one of my missions, and Larry, I'm going to invite you at a lot of people, one of my missions is to get school districts, universities, and colleges to add the life and legacy of Cesar Estrada Chavez 
into their curriculum. Also pass resolutions. Uh, this time around, uh, Wayne State, I, I, I spoke with uh, one of their governors, and, and in Wayne State, he said, I want to pass a resolution. So now there's a resolution passed in at uh, Wayne State, and, and I'm very, very lucky because they decided to put something about the Committee to Honor Cesare Chavez from Grand Rapids. But, but they have become our, our newest partners in this uh, uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's getting larger and bigger and, and better. But, but our event will be March the 31st, which is a Wednesday, from 10 to 11. And we purposely did it from 10 to 11 because in most schools, that's before lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and so we want the teachers and educators to engage the students. It's not about the teacher. It's not about anybody else. But those students have to know their history. And, and not only the Hispano students, but students. Everybody, just like we have to learn about George Washington and Abraham <laughs> Lincoln and everybody, David Crockett was even in there. We had to learn all that history. Now, Cesar should be part of that history. Yes, yes. Lupe, let me me interject. Um, We, I want my listeners to know that Lupe Ramos Montigne, uh, November the 6th in 2012, was elected to an eight-year term on the Michigan State Board of Education with almost two million votes of confidence. And uh, she just... uh, is retired now from that position as of 2020. So congratulations to that because she was the first Latina, uh, no, second Latina on the Michigan State Board of Education, correct? No, there was Gubesindo who was a male. He was the first Hispano, and then I was the first Hispana. And also uh, I was the first from this side of the state, the west side of the state, to be elected in a statewide election mm-hmm. with, with the, in the Democratic Party. Yes. So, so you know, we it's not about me. It's about what we were able to to do to yes. advance. Yes, to a- accomplish to advance our agenda. Yes. And so I am certain because uh, it, the, they did not uh, pick up the ball and select another Hispana to run for the State Board of Education that leaves that void. And yeah. so I, so that we have to be the catalyst to go to the board and say, we need this, we need that. And, and Cesar's legacy, life and legacy, one of the things that I, I am going to adamantly and intentionally work on is to be included in all textbooks in the state of Michigan and also be part of the curriculum in universities and colleges. You, you know, you mentioned uh, Jennifer Gramholm, and uh, she is part of the Biden administration. Paul, your niece, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, is the director of the White House Office of Intergovernmental Affairs. How does your family I feel? Know How does your family feel about that appointment by the Biden-Harris administration? Well, you know, you know, we're very proud of Julie and and what she's accomplished. Uh, but I got to admit, we're not all that surprised. You know, as a young girl, Julie would come home from school and she would immediately immerse herself in whatever the campaign was, always being helpful, volunteering for projects. And 
And uh, and I remember a couple of the women that worked here joked amongst themselves. They said, you know, I think we should be uh, nice to that little girl because one day I think we're all going to be working for her. And so we laughed, mm-hmm. but, you know, it really was a portent of things to come. Julie has distinguished herself not only in her work in the farm worker movement, but also in her service to the country, both under the uh, Obama administrations and now with the uh, Biden administration. So we're very proud of her and the good work that she continues to do. Your grandfather would be very, uh, very happy. Wow, yes, I, I can imagine. Lupe Ramos, Montigne, Paul, Chavez, we have to make a commitment to continue uh, to have this type of dialogue within ourselves for future events in the state of Michigan and in the Midwest because it's so important, I believe, that we continue on this road to promote Latino-Hispanic uh, uh, legacies as like Cesar Chavez. Right. It's, it's so important. And, and Lupe, the work you do in Grand Rapids, uh, it's, it's just wonderful. And the work that uh, Mr. Chavez here is doing out in Keene, California, we need this in our country more than ever. And I know that yes, so many of my listening audience, although you know we targeted this to the Hispanic community, I also want my non-Hispanic community here in the Great Lakes Bay region to hear this because we're a part of this country and Cesar Chavez and his legacy of what he did all the way back over 50 years ago now 50 years can you imagine that that it is so important for not, for not only hispanics but for the greater for the american world. community yeah. yes mm-hmm. yes yeah. we we are going to be closing out i just want to let you paul chavez give one last comment about your father well you know again we want to thank you for allowing us to to participate in today's show you know, again, the, uh, the, the, I'd like to leave people with this idea that we all have a, uh, a moral obligation to help those less fortunate. Yes. You know, my father's life with farm workers, uh, um, you know, organizing the poorest of the nation's poor, set an example of being of service to others. And so, you know, it would be uh, the message I'd like to share with folks is that we should go out and be active in our communities and help those in need. Uh, and the thing is, is that we can do it in many ways. We can, we can help uh, in vaccination programs. We can help feed the hungry. We can do homework assistance program. But the idea is that we got to go out and do our part. And if we all do our part, then we'll leave this world a better place than what we found. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Paul Chavez from Keene, uh, California, and thank you, Lupe Ramos Montigne, for being with me today here on Mi Gente on Air as we go out and we hear the words of the late Cesar E. Chavez. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Larry Rodarte. See you next week. Once social change begins, it cannot be reversed. You cannot uneducate the person who has learned to read. You cannot humiliate the person who feels pride. You cannot oppress the people who are not afraid anymore. The Cesar Chavez Foundation continues my father's work by providing high quality affordable housing that's safe and clean and decent, working families have a chance. Our educational programs really allow kids to believe that the world is theirs. At the National Chavez Center, visitors can come and learn about my father's life and his ongoing work. And through our educational radio program, we convince people that they have a right to share in the bounty of this great land. That's the work of the Chavez Foundation. Si se puede. Si se puede.